Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm Chuck. Today's episode is brought to you by Lower Gentry Studios, as always. Canyon County, our web series is coming out December 19th. If you want to see it ahead of time, come on out to the Linen Building on December 17th. That's a Monday between 6 and 8 p.m. There's going to be an event there called End the Stigma. It's a fundraiser, and uh, we will also be previewing that first episode of Canyon County that evening as well. So come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Today, I sit down with Matt Melton. Matt Melton is a Treasure Valley actor and podcaster. You can catch him as a frequent player on the Homegrown Theater. You can also catch his podcast on iTunes. It's That Baseball Show. We have a pretty cool discussion. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Matt. Hey, welcome to me. Nice to be here, me. (laughs) We're recording, so this is not live, but will be um, as soon as it's played. Very good. I guess never live, but um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is is great. Um, We should, uh, the reason I wanted to bring you on is because of, of Homegrown Theater. And okay. all the cool things that uh, you are doing with Homegrown Theater. Sure. Um, the format, just so you know, I have I have nine questions plus another question plus a bonus question. Okay. So that's we can jump into those. Um, but uh, first, I wanted you to talk a little bit about about Homegrown Theater because I think it's a kind of a cool a cool theater that you're a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I mean, what do you want to know? Um, well, I guess I had some questions. About homegrown theater, let me dig around in here. Sure. Um, do you have Do you have a project that you're excited about that's coming up? Uh, th- for, for me, right this second. So we just we just closed out um, the seventh annual horrific puppet affair. Yes, uh, which, which is, was awesome. Thank you very much. I was um, talking to my brother and I just got back from Twin Falls Sandwiches Film Festival. Yeah, and um, I was talking to a, a guy from L.A. And I explained to him how you all had your overhead projector animation. Oh, boy. And he was super impressed. He had never seen or heard anything like that. Yeah. Um, so those of you that are unfamiliar, uh, the horrific puppet affair, this was your seventh year doing it. That's right. And you said that you've kind of built up on this. It's like it's like old school overhead projector animation that you that you all do. And it's freaking amazing. Yeah. So so it's it's it's. Really, honestly, one of the most ambitious. I, this is my second year actually being in the show, so I was it was the, the the last year holiday show, and I was in this year as well. But I've been to a bunch, and it's just getting more and more ambitious every year. Like, so the 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 piece you're referring to, Alligator. So that was one of like whatever, like eight or nine like short plays that Homegrown solicits from. Uh, playwrights like in the community and really kind of all over, uh, you know, lots of folks. It's it's generally speaking, it's it's playwrights that we have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like Jamie Nebaker and Chad Showhit who run Homegrown. They write some of those. Um, their main puppet builder, Jessica Nebaker, wrote a, a piece for the first time. That was Marvin Kathleen's prize-winning Tomatoes. Okay, that's that first one. Yeah, um, that, that was, was the good. first one she'd ever written. Um, so it so it's a, it's a lot of different it's it's all kinds of different puppetry it's marionette it's like Muppet puppets rod in hand um, and then shadow puppetry which is what we're kind of dabbling in the last couple of years and alligator we we it was literally like four old school like at school projectors like when you know before they went to whiteboards and whatever just like just overhead projectors all lined up to do. And it was it was a long one. It was like I I don't know like I don't know the clock's in ten fifteen minutes, but it yeah. was a long uh, puppet play with just shadow puppets. So who wrote that then? That was Chad. Oh okay. That was all Chad, and it was based off of um, 
he did a he was in it was like Connecticut. I forget that the, he's going to kill me. I forget the theater name, but he did sort of an intensive like a puppet intensive uh, on the East Coast. And I think the sort of genesis of Alligator was his final project for that um, for that workshop. So so then he brought it back and we kind of wrote and like we all kind of sort of had a hand in devising it. But he had a general idea of how he wanted it to go. Um, and it was all his, but it's it totally his baby. Yeah, it was really slick. Thank you. It was very unique. We, I, I feel like we come by it honestly. That one was probably more work than all of the other ones combined. Oh <laughs> For yeah. For me, anyway, it was so. It was a lot of work. Yeah, to, to get the to get the uh, the get the timing right, and it went with the music. And I just imagine rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal with that. A lot of it is yes, just getting the timing down and just getting. You know, there's six of us crowded around four projectors, so it oftentimes is like, who's got a hand free to flip the shutter? Who can move this thing for me? And I've got to switch to my next slide very quickly, so I need your help on that. So it's not just like, here are my puppets that I have in order. It's also, yeah, but I have to help Taylor, who's next to me, with her thing. But then I need Susan to hand me my next puppet because it's a quick change, and it's just it's so much to keep track of. It was it was so I'm glad it all turned out because even coming into Tech Week, we're like. I don't know if this is gonna happen. Like which is which is the puppet affair experience, I feel like, because they try they do so many dynamic and interesting and envelope pushing things. Like it pushes us as actors quite a bit too. Like I so I I am very gratified to hear you say that it we're we're so proud of how it turned out. So I'm glad to hear that you share that. Oh, absolutely. The first the first one I saw was at uh, Tree Fort. And that was such a cool experience because you had everybody come in with their cell phones and you had some flashlights and that was your lighting system <laughs> in, a, in a giant warehouse. Yeah, I'm glad that like we we feel pretty punk rock about that. And that's like like that was sort of necessity being the mother of invention. Right. Mm -hmm. So like Homegrown has done stuff with Tree Fort the last couple of years and it's been in like one of the little like um, we all know Tree Fort Music Festival. We're all familiar with that. It's like a five day Big music and storytelling and whatever. Hopefully like, anybody in the Treasure Valley knows I, I exactly feel like what's going on there. I, I still talk to people who have no idea. And it's like, how do you how do you live in Boise and not understand that like five days out of the year, it's completely transformed to like a festival. It's crazy. Anyway, so Tree Fort. Uh, Homegrown's been doing stuff with Tree Fort for the last couple of years. And this last year, they stuck us in this, I say stuck, like it's fine, but it was just this big, empty, like I don't even know what it used to be, this big old rare house. Mm -hmm. But it was like there's literally no... There's no grid. We can't hang lights. We can't do anything. And then they wanted us to do this cool. It was it wasn't the midnight show that you guys came to. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, so we're in this old ass warehouse in the middle of the night, uh, without any lighting rig or anything. So we're just like, <laughs> why don't we just give everybody flashlights and just they can be our kind of up lighting from sitting and then just having to sit like crisscross applesauce on the floor. Like we don't have any seats, no chairs, no nothing. It was like. We weren't sure how it was gonna go, but when we finished up, we were just like, "Man, that was really punk rock!" Like to do it was super awesome. weird puppet plays in the middle of the night for, quite honestly, like uh, a really receptive audience. Like I feel like what we do and kind of what Treeford is doing is such. There's a lot of synergy there, so mm -hmm. it was an it was thankfully an easy capture to be like, "Hey, if you're interested in all this stuff." come down all the ways down 8th Street to this weird warehouse and come see puppet plays in the dark. And people were very responsive, which was awesome. Yeah, it was a really solid show. Yeah. That one as well. Thank you. Um, that was your that was your guys' first experience, right? That was your first? Yeah. yeah. Nice. And we were blown away. Nice. You know, it's kind of cool to go out to Tree Fort and then one of the highlights be not necessarily music. 
you know, because totally. I mean, there were a lot of great bands that played there too, but that was obviously very memorable to be in this warehouse and watching a very funny, uh, dark, uh, comedic puppet show while you're lighting the show with your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and at midnight after a whole day of being at the at the uh, at the festival, I'm surprised anybody still had battery. Yeah. So we were we were very uh, we were very appreciative of that. And that people people got it. I feel like they got like yes, we have to do this, but yes, it's also a design choice. So just be cool with it. And everyone's mm. really cool with it. It just seems so intentional to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and it really like ha- like. I'd say that's like 50-50 happy accident and, and, you know, deliberate choice, which was nice. Do you want to answer one of my official nine questions? Yeah, Plus one me. questions, plus another question. <laughs> um, so you you are an actor. Correct. Stage and screen. Yes. Uh, what's the difference between stage and screen acting? That's a great question. You know, I've done... Um, for for a while there, I I so I lived in Los Angeles for a while, doing kind of the whole, and I did everything there. I did I did stage acting, film acting, commercial acting, um, and when I came back home, you know, I, I I look around and and it's coming along. But Boise, I think particularly like the Treasure Valley, is really a theater place, kind of first and foremost. Yeah, and that's not there's no accident. Like you know, Boise Contemporary Theater, Idaho Shakespeare is a really world class professional theater is happening. Um, you know, right, right in our backyard, which is nice. Having come up, like I went to high school here, I went to I went to university here, and film acting is just not taught. Like it's just not. There's nobody around to 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 help with that. It's all if you learn, if you learn how to perform at all, it's learning as a theater actor, and you just sort of apply some of that stuff to film acting. And I think a lot of your preparation ends up being the same, but I really do think um, it's a lot different. Like and it's it's just different enough that theater actors who don't spend the time getting into the film acting mindset like run into some problems. Like I've seen it. Like we we you know we be in a workshop and I'll be running rolling camera on somebody just working on a just scene work whatever, and they'll they'll watch the playback and they'll just be mortified. They're like, this is so bad. It's like, well, it's not. You're just not thinking like a film actor. Like, theater actors are playing to, like, you know, row X in the mezzanine, right? And mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. And we all sort of understand that, like, this is a, you're going big because that's just what you do. But when you've got, on film, the potential to be, you know, on a 50-foot screen or whatever, you can't really, you have to, the, the intention and the intensity has to be the same, but you just have to close the aperture so much. Because if you go big like that, you're going to look like an insane person. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially when the frame's just like right on your head. When you're right up on, it's like you just, you have to do so, so little. And I think some of my most gratifying moments as like a coach and a teacher have been, you know, really early on. I don't even think he had any background at all. But really early on, we had uh, a guy uh, and he just, he once completely normal chill dude once the camera start rolling he gets in his head oh, i'm performing now and i have to start performing and it was just so weird and unnatural and it's like buddy you just need to plant your feet so like we did a take and i i literally had somebody else in the class just sitting on his feet like we, we were shooting up like to, like torso and up and i was like you are not allowed to move you have to stay put and he has to give his whole performance just like that and it was so captivating and so interesting and so honest but all it was was you're just doing too much. Like we're getting the camera's getting all of it. Like you we're we're not we're with you. You don't have to do more than is necessary to emote or to get this this point across or to tell this story. And I think that's a tough leap for especially 
classically trained theater actors to make to film. It's I almost prefer teaching people who've never done it before because they don't have any bad habits to work out. You know mm. what I mean? And it's not other bad habits. It's just it's theater habits. And yeah. a lot of it is good, and a lot of it will get you into trouble. And a lot of it's going to make you – it's going to be frustrating. I think uh, the, the whole – so, like, obviously, theater, you have to exaggerate a lot of things. But even when you do go into film acting, it's still – you still need to make sure that you're um, – I remember one of the lessons I learned that speaking naturally in front of the camera and being as natural as possible ends up being very – can end up being extremely boring still on the – so it's like that fine line of, of emoting – yeah. To where you're not, you can't overdo it, but you don't want to underdo it. Otherwise, it just looks really flat. Completely. Yeah. It's a totally different tool set, right? Like, if we're punched in on somebody super close, like, you can you can communicate so much with just your face. That doesn't, you don't, you know, we, we don't need a whole lot of theater histrionics, you know, for <laughs> that. But it's, so it's exactly, so that's the, the challenge, right, is to maintain that level of intensity and that level of, like, focus and intention, but just using kind of a different tool set because like a little a, a slight little tick or twitch of the eye or whatever may not read on stage, but it's going to tell so much of the story in film on your close up. Like yeah. it struck me like we watched uh, we went and saw um, Fantastic Beasts last night. I haven't seen that one. It was good. It was I actually really enjoyed it. I'm not a big Harry. Sorry, I'm not a big Harry Potter guy. I saw like the first <laughs> two movies when they came out like in high school. I've not read any of the books, but like I've been really liking Fantastic Beasts and I have to give it up to um Johnny Depp, right? He plays the villain, right? Grindelwald. And he, he did so much. It's just, that's why he gets paid the big bucks, right? Because you just, you punch it on his face and he can just, you're getting so much of his kind of backstory and his whole deal with just really simple glances and eye movements. And you, you don't have to do much. And it does so much. And that's a big lesson, I think, for, for, for all actors, but especially for theater actors who are not used to using that tool set because the guys up in the up, up in the balcony they're not going to see that. Yeah. So it's you got to do something else, but That's cool. Yeah. You I saw your your uh short film that you did with Brandon Freeman recently at the Sandwiches Film Festival too. Yes. You and Anna and and Lita were solid on that. That Thank was you. really well done. That Thank was you very, very much. well acted. I'm I was really gratified to hear that they had selected it. And I was actually planning on going to Twin, but then we held over uh Puppet Affair mm-hmm. through that weekend and I just wasn't sure I was going to be able to come and then get back and like, it's not whatever. My car is fine. It's not snowy or anything, but I just don't like, I have having nightmares of like blowing a tire, you know, tw- 20 miles outside of twin being like, well, I'm not going to be on stage tonight. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know. You know, that was tough to juggle. Yeah. Twin Falls is like far enough away to where it's a, a, a trip. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's just on the bound of a trip. But anyway, yeah. so, but thank you very much. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad I hear, I saw it was posted the other day. I haven't actually watched it yet. So, oh yeah, it's on Vimeo now. See the whole I thing. Think, I think yeah. Brandon said he's done shopping it at the film festival. So. Yeah. Um, I have a question here that you kind of uh, uh, started to touch on. Um, can you think of any cringeworthy performances? I'm th- thinking like famous. Hmm. My, my, my favorite one to think of is The Shining with, with Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually. Is there? Is I there think any... I saw pieces of that when I was a kid. I don't think I. I'm, I don't. I have to go. I have to go look. Um, like out, out in the world, kind of. Yeah, like yeah. yeah I'm, just, um, I'm just wondering if you, if you have any that you could give an example of. Don't do this. Um, that's a great question. It's, it's tough for me, right? Because I feel like there are great actors who who are completely miscast and are just not in good. The script isn't good, or the part is not right. Um, 
like this is kind of low hanging fruit, but this is what jumps to my mind. I think of Hayden Christensen in the Star Wars prequels. Oh yeah, um, yeah. and that's like I've seen him in other stuff. He's not a bad actor, and I just feel like he was so handcuffed by just not great script writing. And I think you know the whole the whole bit where George Lucas has become so like at the time it was so important. No one's going to say no to him. Yeah. Like, if you go back and look at some of the original like concepts for like Star Wars, they were whack. Like a lot of it was so bad, and it was yeah. just, it was people like, "No, George, we're not doing that." But now he that was before he was George Lucas, and now he's George Lucas, and he gets to do any damn thing. And it's just like, well, he's George Lucas, it's fine. So like I think of um, the fight between Obi Wan and Hayden Christensen, or one of the many fights, one of the, mm. their like conflicts or whatever. I think it was in the third one. And the line literally is, and I forget what Obi-Wan says, and he says something like, um, it's it's compl- uh, it's just, gr- it's like, he's like, the, it's the Sith who are evil. And then Hayden Christensen literally is, in my opinion, it's the Jedi who are evil. <laughs> okay. And that's the script and whatever, but like, you're literally like, that is the complete, that is the textbook case for show me, don't tell me, uh, right? Yes. And he's just literally, here is how I feel in this moment. I am uh, telling you, it's, <laughs> it's so bad. And I just- It makes me angry that you are a Jedi. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I want to kill all of them because they make me mad. Well, obviously, like we, we were with you. It's just- and there, there are bits like that in the prequels, but that one is the most mm-hmm. egregious, and it very much is like, <laughs> I'd like a case, a textbook case of don't, just don't do this. And I yeah. know with a script, like when I when I do teaching, like I had a teaching um, yesterday. I was I was teaching a bunch of it was kind of a wide range, some teenagers, some some adults about just uh, a variety of things. We did kind of commercial work and the and uh, film work and monologue work and whatever, but. Uh, you know, one of the things I tell everybody is like the script is sacrosanct, right? Like you can't change the script. I don't mm-hmm. care if it if it doesn't sound like what you would say or whatever. That's not your job. Now the director might and the screenwriter who might be there might, but like just don't. Don't you're not Will Ferrell, right? You don't yeah. have you don't you you haven't earned the right to I know better, so I'm going to write say the script differently. So at a certain point, like I feel for him because if that's a line, that's a line. And it's George Lucas and he wants a line. So yeah. in my opinion, the Jedi are evil. And then you just have to hang with that. <laughs> but like there's so much more I don't know. There's I just feel like there might have been so much more to do with that. So that's mm. that's the one that jumps out. It's tough. It's tough when the writing isn't isn't there um yeah that's uh funny that you bring that up because i watched recently a star wars documentary the first star wars film are you familiar with how like it was completely a mess and so they brought in experts to re-edit the entire film oh wow for yeah for george lucas and so they made it um I think that I think you can actually see it like a breakdown. I don't know if it's like an actual documentary or just some YouTuber that that made this very uh, uh, deep analysis of the of the film. Sure. And so like he was jumping around, like the plot was jumping all over the place, and it didn't really it didn't have like a line through with with uh, with Luke. The, the very first Star Wars. We're yeah, the very about. first wow, Star really? Wars. Yeah, and so like they he, they had to go through because like it got really terrible reviews with from the audience, and so they went back through and then they re-edited the entire thing and changed the order of events. Wow. Yeah, and so and so it was uh and I, I think his wife or something had something to do with it too. <laughs> I can't remember. But I didn't it win like an Oscar for editing or something? Probably. Yeah. And if that's the case, it absolutely yeah. should have because yeah. I can't imagine it being any other way. It's like obviously that's yeah. the way it goes. Like, and then I the can't... second one, I don't think Lucas really had anything to do with the writing. 
Yeah, I think he he stepped. I think he still directed, but he directed and wrote the first one. And I I, I think it was Irvin Kirshner who wrote the majority of the second one. Um, yeah, and he which was great and was cogent and all that. But I, I it's that's funny. I I hadn't heard that, but I I sort of believe it. I yeah. I absolutely believe it. I like to watch those nerdy things yeah, that on, totally. on YouTube where you where it dissects everything. The the other one that uh, I watched recently was like Christopher Nolan and his Dark Knight and why the action sequences are so wonky. Oh yeah, and it follows the line because they keep breaking like the one hundred and eighty degree rule. Like oh. and and so you lose your your space and they go over like that truck scene. Yeah, you were were the Joker and, and at one it side flips yeah over yeah like thing. at one point. Like the it feels like the the truck is like moving like one direction and then it flies off the bridge in a completely separate direction. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. But obviously, like when they're in Chicago and they drive a truck off the side of a of a bridge, you know, like it's probably hard to take it. I don't know if they would have been able to just flip the footage around 180 degrees or whatever. <laughs> right. But it was it was like they go into detail and they they follow it around and and uh, oh man, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I mean, the action sequences are kind of they're they're pretty decent, but it feel like. Like Christopher Nolan, for some reason, it's just sometimes it gets a little bit like the spatial stuff. Sure. gets thrown off. Just breaking some rules. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so I have a question about puppets. I know we were talking about puppets a little yeah. bit already. But um, if you could have a reverse Pinocchio experience, which puppet would you like to become? A reverse Pinocchio. So I, t- so I go from being a real boy to a, to a puppet. Yeah. Ooh. Like what type of puppet? Like sure, sure. Or if there's a specific puppet you would like to be, one of Jim Henson's creations, maybe. Oh, I'm not sure. That's a great question. I think I don't know. That question makes me think. My my grandfather. He he died when we were when we were pretty little. But he would. Um, we each of us had. Uh, you know, the Muppets were big when I was a kid. They're st- I mean, obviously they're still big, but they were like they were big in our family when I was a kid. And and we each had. Uh, like he he gave us these nicknames and specifically me me and my my brother uh, growing up so my, my brother was 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 Gonzo and and I was always Fozzie oh so so like I remember literally getting like Valentine's Day cards or birthday cards from from my grandpa and, and it would say like you know and he would always call me Waka Waka because that's Fozzie's whole thing Waka Waka yeah. I was doing the stand up so I I would have to say in tribute to my grandpa I would be specifically I would go with a Fozzie Bear nice the Muppet. And do you have a story behind why your brother was Gonzo and you were Fozzie? I think it was just because, um, I because because from a really early age, I was I was into like performing and acting and like just oh, telling okay. jokes and all that. So like I would I, I I have these these sort of vague memories now, but being you know a little and and you know trapping my grandpa like little kids do like mm-hmm. I, I need all of your attention right this second for like an hour um <laughs> just telling like whatever knock knock jokes or whatever so or just t- lame terrible like non-kid jokes you know that just kids think are <laughs> well, funny i'm like, just gonna make, make this sense. up and then end it with fart yeah we'll exactly right and then <laughs> ah, laugh 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 and then i think my brother was just um you know he he was he, I think it was Gonzo because Gonzo was just a complete unique kind of dude, and so so was he. Like, and, and is still, um, like just just funny in a, in kind of a weird way, and has like a weird like a funny perspective, and that was that was him all over. So, um, and that was I think it was really just the two of us because I'm actually trying to think. I don't think my sisters had a, a Muppet. 
sort of avatar, but we certainly did. So I was think that was very qualified. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And so I want to know um, who came up with the idea of doing the annual puppet show for for homegrown theater. Yeah. Um, I think that was pretty much all Chad and Jamie. I wasn't really in on the process that early. In fact, I think when they started, I might have still been in Los Angeles. But yeah. I, know, I know it started like, and I'm, I'm really, I, I'm kind of jealous, actually. I would have loved to see the first puppet affair because it was apparently, ve- like, I feel like the Treefort show kind of captured a lot of the essence of how it was early on. Because, like, nowadays it feels like puppet affair is an institution like like locally and sort of regionally like people people who don't like this happens all the time we get people who come in and they don't even realize that like we do other shows besides puppet <laughs> affair it's like we pointed out in the program i was like yeah we got our next one coming up and they're like i didn't know that well it's like yeah we're a theater company it's not just a one how many shows do you thing. do a year um well so with with the partnership with the gem center this is kind of the first year in a while that we've been able to actually field a complete season nice um just because there's such a dearth of performance spaces around town they're mm-hmm. either uh, prohibitively, prohibitively expensive. Like um, I know we looked into like the the Elcor Shrine. They've got that big stage there. Oh they use yeah, for it every year. Um, it would be kind of a great space to, to put on a performance, but it's just so expensive. Like yeah. to to rent for tech and what. Even if you could rehearse somewhere else. And, and anyways, so there's that. Or it's their spaces that aren't ideal. Like they're really not good performance spaces. And we just sort of make do. And and homegrown for a while would performance spaces like that bars and art studios and places where they were just like that sounds fun to have a bunch of (laughs) millennials come in and take over for a couple of weeks uh and they were all they were so super cool with that but at the end of the day it's like we're not 100 percent proud of the end product like this is not there's so much more we could have done and we had to compromise a lot just to have the space just to have four walls and a floor to perform yeah So the Gem Center um, has been really great with, um, you know, Homegrown being kind of a resident theater company. Now we have a space where we we can count on that we can control, you know, doing Puppet Affair in the bars. It was like, it was was kind of neat and punk rock and cool, Mm -hmm. but like we had to wait until they closed to, you know, tech or whatever. Yeah. Um, So we'd be there from like 10 to like 2 in the morning, whereas... uh, with the gym center, we could tech all day. We can get started as soon, as early as people can wake up. We don't have to worry about loading stuff out or people messing with anything. Like it's all we can all safely secure it. In so it's it's really having a space is so like I mean no doy, but like it's it's a game changer. It's really important. But in the early days, back to your question, like it wasn't like that. So I know I don't think it's around anymore. They the first I think couple were in the red room. If you remember, if you remember that, it was a bar. Oh, okay, yeah, kind of yeah. downtown Boise. The bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we there, there wasn't any of the show, like as as I understand it, the the sort of the host, the Hermuda character, wasn't a thing in okay. the first one, and it was, it was literally a situation where. I think they did it. They might have done it for free, or maybe there was a cover. But it was a situation where like it wasn't people weren't coming to a ticketed show; they were just coming to the bar. So they're doing. They're they're kind of subjecting people to puppet plays that weren't necessarily like 
planning on seeing a puppet play that night. That is a, <laughs> so the bar thing is kind of a tough one too because I've um, my brother and I have gone that route and Zoe when we're trying to do like screening stuff for film. Yeah, and it's and you're right about the space like for filmmakers. Um, we ended up actually renting the the Gem Center. Oh, cool. Um, for we're gonna do two days. We haven't decided exactly what we're gonna do. We have this we have this idea of possibly taking our first feature film that you helped us out with, Brown Truck. Oh yeah, and then we want to take it and and possibly do live music and then screen scenes with that plus have people come up live so it would be like an interactive film experience nice yeah but then we just won a bunch of awards for we speak and we're like it might be easier just to play we speak for those two days because <laughs> it's going to be an issue like you said about like the practicing and being in the location and yeah. if we have more than just people just reading lines of dialogue and have have interactions going on that's got to be that's got to be tough to do and just fly, especially, I mean, that's a pretty well, that's a very well coordinated event that you have with the, with the puppets. Yeah. Like having to go in and then just be like, well, this is kind of the same type of situation here. Let's practice in this area and hopefully it matches. Yeah. Most definitely. That would be very limiting. I think last year, uh, when we did, we did the holiday special at Woodland Empire and they, Woodland Empire was super great about like, we did it there for a number of years. We even built a little stage specifically for Woodland that we could use. Yeah. Um, and they, I mean, no complaints at all. They were so great. It just wasn't a great space to perform in. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a number of reasons, for the teching and everything else. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we were only able to be in there maybe a week bef- before the show started. So we would have to rehearse somewhere else. Most of the time in, uh, I, don't even, I don't even remember, but it was like people's garages or living rooms, you know, like yeah. there was just no, <laughs> I think there at the tail end, because we had just kind of signed on to the gem center, we were able to rehearse at the gem and we could tape the floor off and like, here's our stage and actually like legitimately rehearse. But for a while it was like, yeah, just come over. We're going to be in the garage. And oh, by the way, it's November. So it's going to be very cold or yeah. whatever. You know, it's, it was, so they've come a long way even from then. But yeah, the, the early days was, was a lot more, not that it's not punk rock now, but it was really punk rock back <laughs> in the day. It was just like, yeah, he, sorry, you're coming for a beer. Well, here's a puppet play. I don't even think they had a stage. They just kind of did it in and around like the patrons, which yeah. is why I kind of would have loved to be there just to see like, I can't envision, like, we have a brand new stage and a new venue, and it looks legit, and we've got a lighting grid, and it's just, they've come so far, even in the seven years, you know, yeah. I would have, I kind of would have loved to be there at the genesis of it, just to see, like, the humble, you know, completely humble roots. Well, and, that's, to, and then, there. and then that appreciation, too, of what you, what you all have in place now, and that work ethic, I mean, that's a lot of time, and yeah. then, like, not taking that for granted of having a stage. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like much, but it's, it's, it makes all the difference. I wanted to ask you about those puppets. Yeah. You mentioned someone's name that made the puppets. Yes. Cause I, I've seen two. And so I noticed that some of those puppets are reoccurring, like uh, reoccurring characters. Like there's the cat. Yes. <laughs> Noodles. <laughs> Noodles cracks me up. That's maybe my favorite puppet of all of the puppets that I've seen. It's just, or... a, it's just a cat with a mouth that moves. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, a, just a one. And then just with a little, you know, a little bit of the neck. Oh, and yeah. then there's a tail in the back that's on a oh. little rod that you can flip the tail. But <laughs> Jamie, and it's been Jamie each time puppeteering. And it's just, it's, it's, she gets so much expression and she can communicate so much with only a few articulatable pieces. It's so mm. amazing. Yeah. So who's the one that makes the designs the puppets? So it's really like, I mean, straight up, like Homegrown wouldn't happen without these three, but specifically Puppet Affair would not happen without Chad Shohit and Jamie and Jessica Nebiger. Like they're, they're 
the the straw that stirs the drink, like totally with that, and especially with Puppet Affair. Um, and they're all self-taught, more or less. Like Jess- Jessica, really, I think, as far as like designing and building, Jessica Nebaker is is the one. Like she, all all of, all of the most amazing and eye popping and and technically uh, proficient and interesting puppets are hers. Um, she designed uh, Marvin Kathleen from her from Marvin Kathleen's Prize Winning Tomatoes. Okay, I'm pretty sure that she made Noodles, and if she didn't build them herself, like she made my mask for for Opwash for okay. the for the Hermuda piece this year, like, and it's all like really quality, and they they just get better and better every year. I know Jess goes to I think she was in Las Vegas for a few years doing like a puppet workshop as well like they really invest a lot of time and energy and like sweat equity into building these um and it's pretty much all them like i was on the build team last year and it was very much like i don't know how to i don't know how to build puppets what do you <laughs> i mean i barely know how to sew like i remember doing it in like seventh grade home ec but like we needed a dozen hand puppets for vampires and it's just like just teach me the stitch and i'll do my best but really like that's a completely unskilled labor. They do a, the, the lion's share of the work. Oh, and yeah, I it's suppose. Just, it's, it's, I mean, all of them do, but really specifically, like, Jessica deserves a ton of credit for, um, and she's she's also the homegrown. She's, like, the house manager as well. She runs all the online ticketing and the ticket sales and, and all that. Um, but it can't be, like, her her importance and her skill and what she brings to it just cannot be overstated. Like, she's, she's the greatest. That's awesome. Did yeah. this all start with puppets then and now... Every, so it sounds like it was kind of like the puppet, the horrific puff, puppet affair, was an annual event, and now since you have the location, you are spreading out to to more um, plays, or or, or, or do I have it backwards? It's a little of both. Um, okay. I, I, as far as like chicken and egg, what came first, like the, the the idea to do a puppet plays or the idea to be a theater company, I think it might have been theater company first. Okay, um, but puppets were were an early part of it. Um, up until really up until this year, it's been a matter of it's c- kind of nomadic like we'll put on a show when we have a show we want to put on and a venue that we can do it in um but it's been really tough to cobble together a full season which means it's really tough to to capture an audience you know yeah at least we could do you know the puppet affair being annual we had that at least Mm. you know people could count on that but Really, until this this last season or this current season, it was really tough to you know it was a play here. You know, we're gonna do we're gonna sh- do a show in Ming at Ming the Ming Art Studios over the summer, or you know, we did Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, which was sort of a er Hamilton. Yeah. Like it was like it, I loved that show, but it was like sort of a Hamilton, but just not as good. Yeah, um, show, but it was this big musical piece, historical. Like we did it at the Bouquet, which is since okay. closed down. Oh. Um, uh, and that was great, but it was one of those like, well, we can't feel the season of shows here. <laughs> and in fact, like, I, I, because it's gone and all those guys are not in the business anymore, I feel like I can say it. Those guys were terrible. <laughs> we had such an awful experience, like putting on our show there. Like, it was neat to do it at a bar, and like the bouquets on an amazing stage, and it's this historical place. But like, it was just not. It was not a fun experience for us. Like, it was really like such that like we we had we had the cops called on us uh, closing night. Because um, the coked out uh, bar manager who kept saying that he was the owner was accusing us of stealing stuff when, in fact, we were just striking our set. Oh, my gosh. We finish up this this great show and we're sitting in the in the alley 
like waiting for the cops to show up because you know and like we're waiting on them to say like you here's everything that we've taken and it's all ours and we have a manifest <laughs> and we have th- these are our speakers and our stuff and he literally is like grabbing the coked out guy is like grabbing people like and t- t- telling them to put things down and Dang. it's like our band taking their speakers out and stuff it's like we're not taking any of your stuff guy <laughs> it was so wild so like we're all ready to go you know go to somebody's house and celebrate and have a drink and we're just sitting there in the alley waiting for the cops to show up so we could show that we're not we're not robbing the place. Dang. But these are, you know, those would not be issues if you had a space. That Those are the issues that, like, and I know we're not alone. Like, a lot of folks, you know, are trying to do, there are so many amazing theater companies now, more than ever, like, mm. that I think kind of scratch the same itch that Homegrown does. They're kind of like semi-pro. They're not quite Boise Contemporary, but it's sort of a little more taking nothing away from like community theater, but it's a little more avant-garde. It's a little more envelope pushing. It's different. It's different fare than you're going to get at a community theater, you know, like Mm -hmm. a stagecoach or a BLT. Those places are all great and have a really, really great position in sort of a constellation of art in a community. Like it's so, so important to have community theater, but places like homegrown and alley rep, Daisy's madhouse, Opal theater, like they are kind of filling the gap of like, Seeing some seeing stuff you're not going to see otherwise that, that maybe you don't have you can't pay forty dollars a ticket for yeah you know? that's that's definitely a big part of homegrown's like mission too so. well I, I like the avant garde stuff and I missed the I, the Simpsons one and I was super Mr Burns yeah I missed that one and I was kind of disappointed because oh, my man. brother said it was phenomenal you I I guarantee like a lot, a lot of people liked it and a lot of people hated it but I guarantee they'd never seen anything like it and that's <laughs> if we can say that about yeah. the shows that we do, then I feel like we're doing something right. Well, it's good to get a, an emotional reaction regardless. Yeah, definitely. The worst thing that can happen, I think, <laughs> is when people are like, just, that was great, thanks. Uh, yeah, job. whatever, I don't okay. know, it was fine. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to forget about this in three months. <laughs> I don't want that at all. That's the worst. <laughs> um, what is the what is the coolest thing about homegrown theater to you? Oh, man. Do I have to pick just one? Um, I guess <laughs> just the one single thing. Um, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pick the, the thing that answers all things, um, to kind of dovetail off of what I was just saying, like their mission statement and, and, and the specific place that they have carved out in this community and regionally and all that. And it's a place where, um, I don't know, for, for me as a consumer of art and also a performer of art, it's a place like Boise, it's a really great burg, one of the biggest, you know, growing cities in the nation or whatever, but all that to say, it's still really tough to find a place to work. It's really tough to find work, you know. Oh, almost it, almost all of us have day jobs. We're not able to support ourselves fully mm-hmm. on a creative. I mean, nobody is around here. No. And that's, it is what it is, but the the one of the beautiful things about Homegrown is they're kind of meeting both patrons of art and makers of art halfway in making, first of all, in making theater affordable. Like, it's the cheapest ticket in town, like, by far. Like, and I love the, I really, the the business model that they've adopted where here is how much a a ticket costs. It's $35. Like, that is our break-even ticket cost, which is, I think, commensurate with a lot of other theater companies around here. You're going to pay 35 bucks to go see Shakespeare. You're going to pay 35 bucks to go see Boise Contemporary. But their their financial model is this is how much it costs to see the show. That should not be the only reason you don't get to come see the show, though. So that we have mm-hmm. other payment options that you don't have to feel bad at all about. If you can only pay twenty five, that's great. If you can only pay ten or fifteen, that's fine. Like they don't want f- financial or lack of like lack of of money 
to be the reason why people don't get to see really high quality theater. And I think that's that's that someone is taking care of that. And like, there's, there's it's fine. Like, there's no reason. Like, it's fine that Shakespeare charges what they charge, and BCT charges what they charge. You know, we're not saying that's wrong. If you can pay thirty five dollars, that would be super great. Yeah. But if you can't you still get an opportunity to connect with some of the stuff that maybe you would otherwise miss. Um, and that's huge because at the end of the day, we want, we want our work to be seen. Like there's something noble about doing the work just for doing the work. But if we're playing to empty houses because people can't afford the ticket, then what's the point? Like, mm-hmm. or we, we rely, you know, there's, there's the Patreon and there's grant money and we rely on a lot on ticket, co- on ticket buying too. Like every, everybody does. So there's that aspect for patrons, but also for us, you know, and it's it's really great. I get to work with a lot of um, like BSU graduates or people still in BSU in the theater program that like maybe they're not interested in doing the, the school play or the university show or they didn't get in or whatever. And it kind of fills the gap between getting that professional work and then just either not doing anything or or doing like a community theater show, which, again, is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's an opportunity to make a couple of bucks to work on something amazing with people who are, you know that they're dedicated because it's so much work. Um, and it's really, it's, it's so important for people like me and artists like me. Like it, it really is honestly one of the, one of the main reasons like that I'm, I would think about sticking around in Boise, honestly, yeah. is places like homegrown. Do you, do you foresee more opportunities to make money as an artist here? I, I like just in the last few years, I've seen kind of a, pretty decent uptick it feels like yeah so i i was in la for like three four years and in the time that i left and came back it was just like weeds all of this amazing you know and not even just um just theater but just like just live performance in general like with the rise of like um the red light variety show and like led and and the trey mcintyre project when that was a thing um just so many more people looking around and saying, well, why can't I? Why shouldn't I start my own thing? Like, mm-hmm. if, if this is a thing that I want and I can't get, why am I waiting for somebody to give it to me? I'm just going to go make it. And I think to sort of rabbit trail a little bit, I think that's what's great about living in a place like Boise. Living in L.A., there's obviously a lot more opportunity, but I never felt empowered to make anything. It's like the train is already going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, There's so much, like, red tape you know, you you, you pull a, a, a camera out of your trunk uh, in Santa Monica and a cop is going to be on you within two minutes. And if you don't have a permit, he's going to tell you to walk and he's not going to leave until you do. Wow. There's just no, you have, it's, there's so much. Whereas here it's like, well, if you're not trespassing, if you have permission to be there or whatever, it's do whatever. I'm sure you've, you know, you guys have probably encountered that. Like, oh yeah. Filming. Like it's so we've, much easier to make a movie. We've, uh, <laughs> um, we, we did, had a gun scene. Like you know, oh, and wow. so so we we've had we've had uh, a couple of them, and so um, actually downtown Caldwell for Canyon County, we had a scene where uh, we had a, uh, somebody we borrowed their former police vehicle. You know, they bought like a car at a police auction. Like auction, yeah, sure. yeah. And so, and then we had uh, we had a police officer dressed up like chasing our our one of our lead actors around like downtown Caldwell all we did was call the police station and be like yeah you know we're gonna be filming like it's not an actual cop you know like <laughs> and so we're just running around downtown and he's chasing someone and we're doing multiple takes and never encountered a single issue that's amazing yeah people were super helpful um it's funny that you bring I was in I was in Long Beach I want to say like three or four years ago and um, I was staying at like this Airbnb and I was just taking like a week off, like going to the beach. And then I also wanted to kind of 
you know, feel out the artistic scene a little bit. Sure. And I was in like this, this uh, studio apartment uh, complex. Um, and like one of the people that was there, like lived there with his brother and they had like a feature film that they had. Sh- it was just like, you couldn't not run into somebody that was just doing it within like 20 minutes of, <laughs> of being there. Like, oh, yeah. oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker too. And it's like, oh, okay, sure you are. And they're like, no, this is my film. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're not messing around. Yeah. So what was that like for you going down there? And I, I, I just feel like it would have been pretty pretty difficult as far as like, people always assume that you go there to uh, pursue like an artistic endeavor. But I know a couple of people that live there and it's they've spent like years just trying to get noticed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of... Um... There really is just so much opportunity. You know, it's it's a gold rush, right? You just pick it up off the ground. But, like, there's so many more people grabbing for it. So that's kind of the tricky thing. And to, to try to to do something from scratch is is really difficult. Like, there are a ton of just, like, when I was doing workshops down there and all that, we would, we would rehearse and do these workshops at, like, a space. And it's, like, prime real estate in, like, North Hollywood. And that's all they do is it's just, a, 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 like, a theater space. And you can make mad money. Like if I had investment capital or whatever, and if I was interested in real estate speculation, mm-hmm. I would buy an empty lot somewhere, you know, San Fernando Valley adjacent and just build it like a, a theater space and just rent it out. I'd make a million dollars. It's so it's such a racket. So it's tough. Like I've got this great idea. I'm going to we're going to stage the show or I'm going to do this thing. We did. um we did sketch comedy, like Second City type stuff in West Hollywood Okay, um, for a little while. But like the only time that we could get to do it was like 10, 10 p.m. on a Monday. Oh, wow. In West Hollywood. Like nobody, nobody. It was great stuff. Nobody came. And why would they? We're a bunch of nobodies at this really bad time slot. So like yeah. it's, it's such. I mean, there's. It's a grind. It's a grind anywhere you go. Yeah. Right? Like no, no question. But I just feel like. Being in a space like that and just trying to get on board with stuff that was already going and feeling completely powerless to tr- to, to build anything, mm-hmm. and then coming back here and finding a lot of like-minded artists who share that kind of frustration, but who have the tools and and have the ability because of of a sort of a citywide investiture, if not in actual like money, then at least in like attention and and prioritization. Like we we want art, we want people making art. Like that's been our our my experience at least coming all the way down is that like people people want stuff like this and it's a place where if you want to make it happen all you got to do is ask and most of the time people will say yeah sure like you need yeah you need space in an art studio to throw on a to put on a show well it's not really what we do but fine like we'll we'll figure it out so it's i don't blame anybody for feeling one way or the other i definitely felt for a long time was like well i'm gonna go where the money is Mm. now as i get a little older and i'm you know i'm a little more settled in this community it's like it's not the worst thing ever to stay here and build something like it really is. And there are a ton of people that are willing to help a ton. I mean, we got, uh, we just finished our, our web series, but we had done two feature films prior to that. Um, we filmed those mostly like in friends houses and in my house, Yeah, you know, and then this last one, we're like, we got to extend ourselves. And we literally like gave people food. Nice. Like that was like how we actors and tech people and stuff like we're like, we'll feed you, but we don't have any cash. Like right. my brother and I are both teachers. Like, sorry. like <laughs> That's what, um, what it is. Yeah. But but uh, every single place that we went to, um, we didn't get a lot of no's. 
you know, yeah. um, we found a Mexican restaurant that we, we had a scene that takes place where a woman orders a burrito. And so we found a Mexican restaurant. They're like, sure. Like, just come on in and film. And the yeah. lady was so nice. She's like, well, um, we're going to be closed on this day. So if you need to film this day, then you can just swing by my house and then pick up the key and then like let yourself in. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I just yeah. met you, lady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we ran into a ton of people and, and uh, uh, like Brian Jagger let us, uh, allowed us to like use, like he had just gotten an office space for his, for his uh, Idaho, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, What's oh, the it? Idaho casting? Idaho casting. Yeah. And he had just he just got like just started moving in there and he's like, Well, we're not here on the weekend. So if you need to have a uh, have an office we're like, Yeah, we need office space. Totally. Yeah. So so Brian Jagger was super helpful and Randy Reese who's who's in there as well. They're yeah. like we just like slid in on the weekend and like did a couple scenes uh in there and they were super helpful. Like That's you so just, awesome. Yeah. I no no issues at all. Yeah. And uh yeah, it is nice to be able to shoot outside here too without getting in trouble with the police officers, especially when you're carrying guns. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. That would be cool with that for sure. But it's so great. Everybody around here has a story like that, right? Like we did um, the last year I did I-48. Um, I was the producer. I wasn't really in it or whatnot, but I was helping like location scout, whatever else. And we went to the – we were looking for like kind of a bar type looking place and we needed um, like a dry cleaner's place just for – just the, the script that we wrote had necessitated those. So I, I looked up the owner of the Owyhee you know, cold lead. I've never met this guy. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, can we just shoot? Is it okay? Like for like an hour or two, just in the, in the, in the main floor in the lobby, we just need to shoot something real quick. Can we just have like an hour or two of this, of the time here? And he was like, well, you know, it's like Saturday morning or whatever. Like we don't, we're not using the, the loft. Have you ever been up to the seventh floor? No. Why he building? Uh -uh. It's this dope. Like they've got this amazing, balcony that like overlooks downtown and there's his own bar up there that's where the artist lounge is for like tree fort and stuff like that okay and it's just, it's a super cool spot and like i was asking for a ham sandwich and i got the whole pig right he was <laughs> yeah. like just go up as long as you need and we're like okay <laughs> all the time getting way more than than we had we had asked for you know the dry cleaners were like can we just shoot outside they're like well, what what do you what do you, what do you want I'm like well ideally we would get this we understand that's not a big that's not a thing so they're like no just come on in like and the gal behind the counter was in the movie and like was all it was a whole so giving and so willing to be because it's I don't know maybe we're not as jaded or whatever around here like yeah. LA is like oh my god look at these guys with a camera but around here it's like yeah. yeah this seems like a cool thing to be a part of so. yeah people stop and they ask questions yeah and, and things it's, it's super cool totally are you are you uh, ready to tell me about your personal product that project upcoming that you're most excited about oh anything? man um I am ready to do that I think uh a lot of irons on the fire that's kind of the way of it right like I uh which I'm very proud of. It's it drives me crazy sometimes, but I'm happy to be like I'm so I'm so fortunate and really really like it feels great to be so connected to a creative mm -hmm. community like this where there's always maybe something coming up. Um for me honestly like a puppet affair takes a lot of work, so my whole deal is I'm kind of taking the holidays off. Nice. Um I I think probably the thing coming up, and this it's not a done deal just yet, but for the past several years, uh, we've been involved in Storyfort, which is kind of like the the storytelling, like author, like panel, sort of like wing of Treefort. 
for the podcast that I do with my friend Jimmy, mm-hmm. um, we do we 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 have the distinction of being the very first live podcast ever to record at Treefort. So there's oh, that. Nice. So if this if this lasts uh, any longer than that, and it becomes a big thing, and like actual podcasts come in because of that, we were the first. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> and I think I, I as far as I know, I bumped into the coordinator for Storyfort at like a burger place the other day and I was talking to him and I think we're coming back. So we've, we've, we're doing a live show, uh, uh, there, we're going to record it live and put it up live. Um, and that's always a really good time. And it's, it's, I'm very proud to be having a part in tree for it, whether mm-hmm. it's with, with homegrown or my podcast or, or whatever. Um, so that's probably the, the thing that's the most concrete that I'm looking forward to. But like in the meantime, you know, I'm going to be reading plays. I'm going to be auditioning for stuff. Um, I'm going to be teaching, um, I'm going to be, uh, you know, maybe stage readings, you know, Homegrown and Alley Rep both have stage reading. Um, and I think Opal Theater is doing it now, too. They all have, have, have evenings of just stage readings for plays that they're either thinking about or that a playwright had written and kind of wants feedback on or whatever. So there's just a lot to be excited about that's that's coming up. So it's nice. kind of a non-answer, I suppose. <laughs> but there's there's just it's 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 a bounty, right? It's just it's a lovely, a lovely time to be involved in stuff like that i feel you there it yeah. seems like any time i i like my free time just has disappeared yeah completely but it's a good thing because there's so many different things that you can get involved in and so many people you can connect with oh yeah i didn't even know you had a podcast yeah <laughs> yeah that's fine nobody <laughs> does uh, <laughs> I, just, I kind of feel like i'm fighting the same battle it's just like you know it's you get you get a couple dozen people to watch it and right well honestly most a of couple our... dozen loyal fans most of our listeners for our podcast don't yeah. live here. Like nobody yeah. knows locally that we we have a podcast. We have listeners oh. in like Ireland and like and like New oh, York cool. and Canada. What do, you, what do you specialize in? What's your um, so our podcast is that baseball show, and oh, it's, it's me okay. and Jimmy. We've both been like lifelong baseball fans. Oh, and nice. We just it's actually it started out with me and another friend of ours, and like we would get together and talk about baseball all the time. It's like why don't we just record this and see what happens? Oh yeah. Um, and that was sort of the genesis of that, and then. Cody, because he's got a wife and two kids and is going to school and a job, he oh. just was not able to to host on a regular basis. So my friend Jimmy Bowman came back from Los Angeles, um, and I was like, hey, Jimmy, like I know that you're a big baseball fan as well. He's also like a, a, a UCB-trained um, comedian, and, oh, and, cool. and you know I've got a background there as well. So I was like, why don't we just make a show that's about the sport that we love baseball, but it's not like, I'm not a stats guy. I'm not a, you know, analysis guy. I don't watch all the games, but like, there's a lot of like, it's a, it's a long season. It's the longest season of like all four major sports and a lot of insane things happen along the way. So let's talk about those. Like, let's, let's, let's get into that. And we've been going like probably like a three, four years now just doing that. Either me and Cody or me and Jimmy or whatever. And we just talk about, um, you know, we'll debate some stuff in baseball, but also talk about like, Hey, this is weird. Uh, this happened. What, what, what of this? And it, it ends up because of our politics, it's kind of a lefty progressive oh, okay. sort of like it's so it's very niche. Like if you like baseball, but not really, but also you're sort of into like lefty politics, but not really in any way. So we have eight people listening or whatever, you know, um, but we're very proud of it. And um, we like to think we make it accessible to people who aren't necessarily who are casual fans like us. OK, like, we're ne- we're never going to out analyze or out hot take anybody else. But we can talk about how weird it is. Um, that when they were renovating Wrigley Field a few years ago, that like there was pictures of people just peeing on the walls because there were no bathrooms. Oh like, wow, that's Oops. the stuff you don't hear anywhere else. <laughs> like you're gonna get it here, I guess. So I actually I know an interesting fact about baseball. Um, uh, the uh, the fact that this the chances of getting a hit are are so 
low compared to other sports. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, so, so superstitious behaviors, um, in, in humans and in all animals is a, is a factor of, uh, a, a less consistent outcome yeah. to, to a desired or less consistent, uh, desired outcome based on what you're doing. And so, so, uh, Mo, there's more superstitious behavior in baseball than in any other sports because like even with the best batting averages you're still only hitting it like like 40 percent yeah three out of three out of ten times if you're lucky yeah exactly yeah. and so so that's why you see a lot of the uh like not changing the socks and yeah. like those kinds of stories <laughs> or using this yeah. walk-up music or only mm-hmm. using this bat or whatever yeah because and then it's true and then after that is like hockey and they have all their you know their no shave like all sorts of weird stuff that happens with them too because right. the puck bounces around in all sorts of different directions hockey mullets and whatever yeah, yeah totally <laughs> yeah it's true like ted williams has the he you know play for the Red Sox has the has the greatest the best batting average like season long batting average in history and it was 400. Oh wow. So he was he's one of the greatest ever to play the game and he hit the ball for literally 40% of the time and that is Hall of Fame legendary. Mm-hmm. If you could do it 3 times out of 10, you're pretty good. You're going to make 100 million dollars. Yeah. Like so it's it, it's it's such a it's such a strange sport and it's so you can't like Whatever, not not to get too down on this, but like a lot of people don't understand why baseball is interesting, and you just have to watch it differently than you watch football or you watch hockey or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in between a ball being put into play, whether it's like a defensive shift or a substitution, or you know, what do you do on two strikes? What does this guy do on one strike? What is it? A hitter's count, a pitcher's count? You know, where are you at in the lineup? There's just so much, and like that can be off-putting for a lot of people, but like. I don't know. I'm I'm here for it. I'm kind of a, a, a sort of sort of a chess game kind of wonk as as far as that goes. So I I, I love it, and I I've been getting my girlfriend into it big time. She wasn't really a, a baseball fan at all, but like I have the streaming service, and we watch games, and I'm kind of like, you know, not insufferably. When she asks me, okay, now check this out. This guy's going to be doing this, and look, they're all cranked over on this side because he's a left-handed hitter, and and he, you know he's going to have to pull the ball the opposite field, and that's you know there's so much going on. That has little to do with the actual ball being hit, and like that can be like that sounds awful to some people, and it sounds awful as I'm saying it, but like no, it's really great. I promise. <laughs> well, it's the 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 amount of just like in football, like it's it's kind of like a now with the ball's in play, and then we take a break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's all just take a take a minute, take a breath, yeah. and a million things will happen. And now the next pitch. Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm more of a basketball and hockey person myself. Totally. But see, even basketball at the end of the game with all those timeouts when they're oh close, my it just like crawls. The last minute like, and a half takes like yeah. a half an hour. It's ridiculous um so i want to i have a piece of advice i'm going to request from you um how would building my acting muscle help me find a job in the cia Ooh, that's a great question i like that a lot um i suppose it depends on your job what you want to do in the cia i would say for me, having been a coach for a while and having been coached, I think one of the biggest, the best traits you can learn as an actor that also help in life is to be present, right? Um, my, old, my old acting coach in LA used to say, you don't have to be perfect, just be prepared to be present. And I feel like that's really great life advice, but especially like when you're on set, like I tell a lot of people this and I tell a lot of my like students this and this is it's kind of a bummer to a lot of them. And I don't think they're quite seeing it the way that I see it. And the way I see it is there's always going to be somebody better than you. Always. Like there's enough people in the biz as actors or whatever. There's always going to be hundreds of people who are more qualified than you to do 
your job. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's, you know, uh, a part you're going out for or or whatever, just just the the odds are that you are not the best at this. And what a mm-hmm. relief for me cuz like I don't have to be the best. Yeah. Like I don't what 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 a load off my mind. Like there's no pressure there because ultimately you can't control that. You can control how prepared you are and how present you could be with your scene partner or whatever and how how dialed into the the imaginary circumstances because acting is, as as I like to define it is being truthful in imaginary circumstances. So if you can be truthful in that moment um and you're just and a lot of things at the dice roll, a lot of things that you can't control, but if you can control what you can control, you're going to be successful. And it's not about being the best, which is which I think is so great. So I think to be present and to be receptive and to be uh, uh, prepared, I think those are all traits that would lend themselves very well to a to a job in the clandestine forces, as it were, like to be whether you're like you're interrogating somebody or you're like doing a, being a spy or whatever, just be present like be so let what is happening land on you and respond truthfully Hmm. um which is is kind of boilerplate acting advice that i give but i think also it might be a little bit of a stretch i mean kind of a walk but could could apply to a job as a spy as well (laughs) have you did you say you did some improv acting did were you in you said you know somebody that was Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, in that so group. You, did you as well? I never, I never took the classes. Mm. Um, I did when I, I lived in North Carolina for a little while, and I worked with Charlotte Comedy Theater a lot. And they do. Um, uh, I don't know if she's still there, but Kelly Semmelsberger was a Second City alumnus, and she was running oh, okay. the comedy theater there. So I would do here and there some improv stuff with uh, with a couple of friends. Um, that's that was kind of the bulk of my training. The rest of it is just. Just life, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Upright Citizens Brigade is one of my favorite sketch comedy shows that ever existed on the yeah. planet. And when they canceled that on Comedy Central, I was heartbroken. That's too bad. Have you ever been to a show in LA? No. Didn't been to ASCAT or anything? Mm-hmm. Oh man. That's another really great like it's it's if you ever if you're ever in LA, it's 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 a tough ticket because they don't do pre-sales. You kind of have to just rush to the door. But the oh. tickets are like twelve dollars. And you're gonna see like we saw um it's kind of whoever shows up. They've got kind of a core group, but like you might also get, um, like one time we saw Horatio Sands and oh. like Tim Meadows was there. Um, they did long form, I think it was Harold uh, improv, and it was Bob Odenkirk. And he was <laughs> oh, just like, wow. he was just there. And they just, you know. Um, he's great. Yeah, he's so great. He was so, and he's such a, an amazing storyteller, which was kind of his role in that one. So you just, and it just, it really is whoever's kind of in town, whoever's free, and you never know who you're going to get. They don't ever announce it in advance, but you might see like Amy Poehler pops in a lot. She was a big UCB gal, you know, yeah. she's in LA. So anyway, um, that's another really, it's a, one of the wonderful things about living in LA was having that kind of access for that cheap. Like the, they're not charging enough for their tickets. Like, in my opinion, but they have a lot of classes and like, it literally is kind of like structured like baseball, like minor leagues, you move on up to kind of one of the mainstream shows. Um, And that's Jimmy was in that system for a while. He was he was there and, you know, working there and helping out and all that. So um, the live shows are great. I mean, obviously, the programming is great. The the television stuff is great. But the the, to see it live, to see just the magic happen live, is just it's beautiful. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Every year in L.A., you definitely definitely do. Um, if you could have dinner with any historical artist, who would it be and why? Dinner with any historical artist? Yeah. It's a great question. 
I think because I'm such a like sort of a ridiculous fanboy, I think I would have to say Frank Sinatra. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I, I I discovered Frank's music in high school. We had to do like a report on like something. It was so, it was, it was uh, a really like kind of loosey-goosey combined history English class. And we once we got to like the 20th century, we would just like, I think after like the 40s was the, was the first. We'd do a project on the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, et cetera. And I kind of picked Frank Sinatra more or less out of a hat. And I was like, mm-hmm. he was a guy back then, right? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so I bought a CD and I bought a book. And, you know, this was this was 2003 where you did that. Like, this is not, you know, you can't stream any of this or whatever. So I went to Hastings, which is now closed, and bought a CD, which <laughs> nobody has. <laughs> Listen to some of the music. And I was like, this is actually really good. Like, I actually really enjoy this. And as I got down, like, deeper into his biography, such an interesting character. Um, and by far not a perfect guy, but, like, had a lot of, uh, you know, really progressive ideas um, about race, especially like mm-hmm. he was terrible to women. Like, let's stipulate he was a horrible womanizer. And that's not I'm not that's not something to be admired. But he was also making, you know, films in like 1945 about not being racist. Like yeah. it wasn't even cool to not be racist in 1945. Like he was way, you know, way before the civil rights movement, way before MLK. Like he's making this video about not being a jerk to people of other races. It was so amazing. And just that he can come from such humble beginnings and be one of the greatest um, recording artists of all time. And also, like, a really, really amazing film actor, too. Like, some of yeah. his, like, act, like, I have a lot of his old movies, and it's just, like, he's so... The, the, the original Manchurian Candidate is such a great... It's, it was an amazing film. Like, he's so he's so good in it. And um, just, like, just I mean, as one example, he's just good in so many things. So... I would love to pick his brain and, be, and just ask him, you know, assuming, you know, if you were alive today, when I'm like, what do you think about all this and, and where things are going? And, and would, would a guy like Frank Sinatra make it today? You know, like, yeah. is that, is that model even sustainable or was it just lightning striking and he's just being incredibly lucky? I don't know, but I would love to, and also just like fanboy out and be like, oh my God, you're Frank Sinatra. Like <laughs> you're the, you're the best. <laughs> but then once we got that all the way, it's like, but really though, what do you, what do you think? Like, about all this. Huh. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed. Frank yeah. Sinatra. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Sweet. Um, we're down to the two, the one plus one. Oh, so we did the nine yeah. plus one and now a bonus question. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This last one is comes from, these are questions from the abyss on, on the yellow piece of paper. It's my friend Wes. He comes up with some really interesting questions. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the warning there. Um, all right. What sport would be the most fun to add mandatory amount of alcohol? A mandatory amount of alcohol? Yes. Oh, that's good. Um, because it's my my whole jam, I think I'm going to have to say baseball. Yeah. I think that'd be really great. Because honestly, like, you know, co-ed city softball leagues are basically that <laughs> anyway already. Mm-hmm. Like, I worked at um, Papa Joe's downtown for a really long time. And we worked right next to, you know, it's the Italian restaurant right at the mouth of Ann Morrison Park. Oh, okay. Got it. And we yeah. would routinely, like, I think we sponsored a couple of teams or whatnot. <laughs> we routinely get teams coming in after the game. And they would just, those were bonanza nights. They would spend yeah. hundreds of dollars on, like, pizza mm-hmm. and pitchers of beer and whatnot. And I was like... I don't think you guys came in here sober either. Like, I, <laughs> there must have been some happening during the game because this is this is out of control. But I think it's already to hit a home run, specifically to hit a ball, but specifically to hit a home run is the is the hardest individual and most unlikely individual feat in sports. Oh, like it's been. I think the only other one that compares is getting a hole in one in golf. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like, but so that much of sense. that is like it's kind of luck. Like mm. you aim and whatever. It also golf is a mystery to me. But like to to do connect with a ball being thrown ninety five hundred miles an hour and to hit it with such force to make it go five hundred feet, you mm-hmm. know, into the stands. It's there's so much unlikely. It's it's just it's a miracle every time it happens. Yeah. So when it happens 40, 50 times in a season for a guy, like, yeah, that guy's legit. And that guy's um, a generational talent if he can do that. So throw in a couple of drinks in there. Now let's see how unlikely it gets. <laughs> like anybody that can hit a ball, you know, 90 miles an hour, 500 feet, while also blowing a .08, like, you know that guy's legit if he could do it, you know, drunk. I think that'd maybe, be amazing. Maybe it'd be fun to do, like, just during the All-Star game or something yeah. like that. Yeah, no one watches the All-Star game anyway, yeah. so just do it. Just, just just get all the All-Star baseball players together, get them a little popped, and then just have them play some other people sober. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, see, that's that's why you do the, uh, was it, there's a celebrities and whatever softball game. You just give the other side oh, yeah, a whole bunch of, of alcohol. And then all the schlubs like Jimmy Kimmel or whatever could just do their best against drunk people and see what happens. I would tune into that. I'd watch that all day. I think everybody would. Absolutely. Because no one's doing it right now. No yeah. one's watching the All-Star game now. It's or maybe as, as pot becomes more legal, <laughs> substituting yes. with that. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So I'm excited about this question. I, I burned my hand last night. <laughs> so and now it's, it's like I, I'm... I'm uh, I prepared to be one-handed for this normally, but now I have a piece of paper that requires two hands. Two. Ah, um, you're doing so great. I'm working on that. Uh, you received three Christmas gifts. You don't know from whom. Okay. You can only keep one and must pick ahead of knowing. Uh, must pick ahead of knowing what it is. One is made of cloth. One is made of wood. One is made of metal. Which Ooh, do you pick? That's an amazing question. Right. Okay, so there's th- there's three gifts. Mm-hmm. One's made of cloth. One's made of wood. One's made of metal. I you, can only choose one. Mm-hmm. And you don't know from whom or what okay. they are. Just sure. material. Dang, that's an amazing question. That's like a that's like a getting hired a Google question. That's mm-hmm. really good. Um, wow, I think. In the interest of moving things along, I'm going to go with my gut reaction. My gut reaction was the cloth one. Yeah. I think. Just because you, functionality? You, I guess You so. figure you'd be able to wear it? Yeah. It'd be something, you know, I, I'm a big, I don't know, like I'm not the most fashionable dude, but I love clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if it's, you know, like a thinking of all the things I might get that it might be cloth during Christmas time, like a hat or some gloves or a scarf, I'd be very into that. So, or like mm-hmm. a, maybe a cool coat or something. As opposed to like... I don't know. I feel like my mind when it's wood and metal goes to like mostly like um, like tchotchke type stuff. Yeah, tools. Yeah, maybe or whatever. Like I'm yeah. not I'm not a tool guy. It's not. I have like I have a tool set, of course, because you know I live in the world. But it's not something that I, I don't have like a whole garage full of. You know, it's not. I'm not interested in that. I mean, it's just not for me. It's it's not. So my feeling would be it'd be something functional, something that I would use a lot, and something that I would be like. Whatever, if I got like a drill or whatever, I'd be stoked, I guess. But like, no one, no one that knows me would get me that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why I would be there. Um, but I think I'd have to go cloth. And also because, and also too, as I'm unpacking it, I know a lot of people who make things. Like they make, 
you know, they knit or crochet or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, I, there's probably a pretty good chance that it would be something that was like someone made for me. And those are my favorites. Like I have a lot yeah. of like really nice um, hand knit scarves and, and, and stuff like that. So, and hats and, and those whatnot. are the things that you hold on to. Yeah. Like amazingly. Yeah. I know. I, I have, have some, some I have like a couple, like I've dated a couple different women that like crocheted. Yeah. And those are the only possessions I have of anybody that I've ever dated that have That's lasted true. that long. <laughs> That's a really good point. I had a really like, not, not to get into it, I had a really egregious breakup a few years ago and I got rid of everything else except for the uh, Boston Red Sox fleece blanket that she gave me. <laughs> and I thought about it just, I was like, no, it's too good. It's too good of a blanket. Like, yeah, I know that she gave it to me and whatever, but I'm keeping it. It's fine. Everything the else the can go they, in the They're trash. all gone. Jewelry and whatever else, I'm not interested. I have to keep the blanket though. Also because it's Red Sox and they're my team and whatever, but yeah. like, yeah. So Cloth, Cloth is my answer. That's an amazing question though. That's yeah. a real good question. I'm super happy that he's Thank helping me out. Thank you, Abyss. Yeah. yeah. I'm, Wes That's is, wild. I, I shared a Google Doc with him so that he can he can come up with more of this stuff. Yeah. Um. So That's brilliant. So anyway, we're at an hour. Thanks so much for, for coming on and chatting, man. That's amazing. It blew by. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, and thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's awesome. Yes. Um, if you, if I, if I can plug a few things. Please do. Um, I, I, and I, this is bad job of me, but I'm not in this show, so I don't know when it's happening, but I know Horizon 3 is happening. That's the next Homegrown show happening in December. Oh, cool. Um, I've seen, uh, my girlfriend does all of the um, the poster design for Homegrown, so okay. all the amazing posters you see around town is all hers, and she showed me the one for Horizon 3, and it looks awesome. It's like a space sci-fi kind of like they did a reading for it a little while ago and it it, it sounds like it's gonna be awesome so i'm gonna Sweet. go certainly so y'all should check that out that'll be december at the gem center for the arts um homegrown theater on, on facebook or i think hgtboise.org if i screwed okay. that up i'm very sorry it's something like that i'll Just, put it I you got, guys have google yeah i got i'll i'll put it on the youtube comments and then and then i also have like a this is on treasurevalleypodcast.com and cool. so there's like a little like blog area so i can just throw the links up there for people too yeah totally and if uh if uh, you know plug my own podcast as well if you're interested mm -hmm. at all that baseball show we're on itunes and and you know any other place you download podcasts if that very specific niche applies to you that you might like sp uh, baseball but not really with sort of a progressive lefty <laughs> lean we're your guys sweet yeah but uh yeah thanks this was really i'm glad we made i got to make this happen thanks for bringing me on yeah i really appreciate that no problem yeah we'll see you around man all right